Okay, so uh, I'm really glad that you're here. And what I want to set out to do today is to um, present a, uh, a program for happiness. How to achieve happiness and um, just make this super practical, but going over a number of sources um, in the Torah as, as guide points for a very, very practical program of, of, of how we have to think and how we have to live in order to get the most out of this life. And um, before I begin, I'd just like to say that this is my father's yurtzeit. My father left the world uh, today. Actually, today is Sunday, and he left on a Sunday. And um, uh, so, so it's um, maybe may, may um, Hashem bless his uh, his uh, neshama with um, tremendous, infinite aliyahs, leib and tzvi halevi, and uh, may these words also be an elevation. And uh, my father was a psychologist uh, by profession for over 50 years. And so he spent his whole life uh, helping people to become more happy and, and things like that. So maybe this isn't a, an appropriate thing. Um, and uh, before, before uh, I begin, I just want to say one, one, one word of Torah uh, that came to me just uh, vis-a-vis my father, which is, you know, we talk about the next world. Uh, is called in Torah terms uh, the Olam HaEmes, the world of truth. And um, if you look at the word Emes, it's very interesting. It's the letter Aleph, and then Mem and Tuf. Mem and Tuf spell the word dead. And Aleph stands for God, because Aleph is the first letter in the alphabet, so Aleph, Gamatri is one, and God is one. And also if you break down the letter Aleph into its constituent parts, we all know it's two yuds and above, which add up to 26, which is the numerical equivalent of Hashem's holiest name, the Yudke Vavke. So, so you see the Aleph really represents Hashem. So in a, in, a, in a way, it's like the Aleph, remember the word Emes is Aleph, and then the word Mace, which means dead. It's like, it's like Hashem, the Aleph, is giving wings to the Mace and, 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 and taking him to this Olam HaEmes, to this world of truth, where... We're, we're one with God. And so, so now, um, I would like to uh, set out this, this program for happiness. And um, I would like to begin with something uh, that is really striking to me, which is, which is the whole mission of the spies. And, and what the spies saw and what the spies did. Rashi says something really, really, really amazing. In the, in the third paragraph of the Shema, it says um, that we shouldn't sasuru sasuru. sasuru means to tour, T-O-U-R, like to travel around, or to spy. And in fact, that is the word that the Torah uses to describe the, the verb form of what the spies were doing when they were looking at the, the land. This word, sasur. So, it's, it's very interesting. So, God now tells us in a completely different context, but using this key word of the spies, don't spy after your heart and your eyes. And Rashi says that our eyes, are, our eyes and our heart are spies for us that the eye sees and the heart desires and they procure sin for the body. 
which is a very interesting thing. Now, without going into long digression, I'm not a big fan of this word sin. This is not a Jewish word. This is an English word which has a whole set of uh, alien theological implications that it puts on our belief system. So, but it's, it's a good shorthand. Let's put it that way. Basically, would say it's to make a mistake. You know, we use the word hate, which means to miss. And I heard Rabbi Aaron explain very beautifully. He was watching people play soccer in Israel. And if you kick the ball and you miss the goal, they yell, hate! And that doesn't mean that you have to do tshuva, right? I'm Yom Kippur, I missed, I missed the goal! Ay, Hashem, I'm beating my chest, you know? How could I have missed it? You know, it's not that. But the idea is that when one does the, a hate, one either does too much or too little. That's required in a certain point. See, what happens is, we've got this... Um, very uh, wrong idea about when we fall short. We, f- we feel like, you know what, I'm just out of the game completely. I just messed up. I'm not even on the field. I didn't show up to the game. But it's not really true. You did show up. You just did a little... You can't help but to show up. As long as we're alive and in this world, we're on the playing field. It's not like, well, I decided not to show up today. No, you're showing up. You might be under your bed, but you're sure you're, the bed is on the playing field. As long as you're breathing, you're on the playing field. Whether you're making yourself publicly visible or not is beside the point. That's beside the point. You're here. So the idea is we're either doing, when we make a mistake, we're either doing too little or too much. We're undershooting it or we're overshooting it. Okay. So, so... But this is going to lead us into our entire program for happiness. So I just want to be very clear what, what Rashi just said there. He said that, he, based on this Pasuk, that you shouldn't stray. That's another um, sort of English translation, which also carries its own set of thoughts with it. You shouldn't stray after your eyes and your heart, Rashi says. The eyes see, and the heart desires. Okay, very good. Except, we have one problem. <laughs> the problem is, is that that's not what the Torah just said. The Torah said, don't stray after your heart and your eyes. It listed it in a different order. Don't stray after... Belosasuru your heart, your eyes. And I heard a rabbi explain, and I wish I could tell you who, because it had a big influence on me, um, that what the Torah is saying is that if the heart doesn't desire, the eyes won't see. So, in other words, it's not, what is the exact causality when a person kind of gets confused and makes a mistake or whatever it is? We think that the eye sees and then the heart desires. But it's much deeper than that. The heart desires and then the eyes see. And if the heart doesn't desire, the eyes won't see. And we can just apply this in a very simple way. Um, You know, imagine a conversation between a wife and a husband. And the wife says to the husband, what was, um, oh, so-and-so was at the event? What was she wearing? And the man says, I was, 
I, I didn't even notice. So that's a great answer, by the way. <laughs> Calling all men, that's the proper answer. <laughs> the <laughs> Here is a more problematic answer. She looked hot. <laughs> or she, you know what she was wearing? She was wearing this really elegant, you know, so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so. If the heart doesn't desire, the eyes don't see. The eyes don't see. Um, my father used to use an example. He said, after you eat a very full, satisfying meal at a restaurant, and you leave the restaurant, do you then go looking for another restaurant to have dinner? No. Because if you're satisfied, and you're full, then you're not looking. You're not even thinking. Right? Okay. So, so how does this apply to us? Well, Rashi himself compared us to the spies. He says that our heart and our eyes are like spies for us. So we're like spies in this world. And we're looking around all of the time. And the question is, how are we going to interpret what we see? All right. Now it starts to get deep. Okay? So here's really step one of the program is that we have to recognize the following. You see, well, before we do this, we have to do one more important Rashi. And this is actually the, the critical, critical next step. If you look at the beginning of Parsha Shlach, so this is in Bamidbar in Numbers, it's in, um, it's in chapter uh, 13, verse 26. And there's a very striking bit of language here that Rashi is going to explain to us, and he's going to give us a big key to the secret of happiness. You ready? He says, he's talking about the spies. They went and they came. So these are the words we're going to focus on. They went and they came to Moshe and to Aaron and to the entire assembly of the children of Israel, to the wilderness of Paran, of Kadesh, and brought... And, and brought word back to them and the entire assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Okay, so this is their, this is their return after their 40 days of looking at the land. So what does it mean they went and they came to Moshe and Aaron? They went and they came. How about just they came back? What is this they went and they came? It's a confusing bit of extra wordage there. So listen to what Rashi says. They went and they came. What is the reason that they went as stated? To compare their going with their coming. Okay, you ready for the key line? Just as their coming was with an evil scheme, so too their going was with an evil scheme. And the commentator here explains, they had bad intentions from the start of their mission. Very, 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 very critical to us. You see... We talked about it a little bit, but we're going to go deeper. They knew before they went what they were already going to say. They went with an evil intention. Now, I explained to you, and this is something that, that I've verified with, with the journalists themselves. It's even been volunteered to me. Which is that a journalist... For the most part, there will be exceptions for this, but I'm talking about the general rule. A journalist, before he writes a story, already knows the story that he wants to write. 
And what he does is, he goes and he, when he interviews or he quote-unquote researches, what they do is, they get quotes and facts to support the story that they already have in their head. And then they just write it out. So you see, you see that here. Rashi is saying that, that they already knew. Now this often, and here's now where we're going to get deeper. This often is not necessarily a conscious thing. Okay, now remember, we're talking about us. We're not talking about the spies right now. We're talking about us right now. So this means that all of us have a story. We have a vision of the world. And we have a story. And when we go outside, that story is being not written, but that story is being supported. In other words, the opinion has already been formed. And what we do is we look around and we see, like I I was talking, I miss my bus. Of course I miss my bus. That's my life. I always miss my bus. Or the way that person looked at me or the way that person didn't look at me. Of course, this is my life. This is how people treat me. A person, what we do is, we look to the outside to support the story that we've already written. Okay, now. Now we're ready for the next step. That means we have to know what our story is. We have to constantly choose what our story is. Now here's where it gets more involved. We have a story in our head, which is where our eyes are. And we think that's our story. You say to me, well, do you believe in God? I believe in God. Do you think God is good? I think God is good. Do you, why? Why do you think God is good? Because someone told me God's good. Okay, good. Okay, so, so God's good. Yeah, is God involved in your life? Yes. Why? Because I heard someone told me God's involved in my life. So, okay, so God's involved in my life. Okay, so, so we have a story, but here's the problem. We really have two stories. We really have two stories. There's the, to- there's the story that will speak with our mouths and the story that's in our head. But then we've got another story. And that's the story that's in our hearts. And when we look at the world, because all of this happens lightning fast, and all of this is done with a, you know, like this bio-neurological, chemical, synapse-firing, instantaneous speed that we can't monitor as it's happening. Okay, but it's happening. And the thing is, is that the story that we're confirming with our eyes is really the story that's in our heart. How does our heart really feel about this world? Ah, now it's a whole new conversation. In your heart, do you believe in God? Well, I don't know. I have to think about it. Do I think God is good? I see a lot of good things. I see a lot of bad things too. I don't know. I've got to think about that one too. Think God's involved in your life? Well, I've certainly felt instances where he's involved in my life. But do I feel it every single moment? I don't know. So this is ground zero. 
This is where the war, if you want to be for real, if you want to really achieve happiness, this is the first, first step. We have to come up with the story that all of our senses are going to be consciously and unconsciously validating constantly. We have to come up with that story and we have to make sure that that's the story that's in our hearts because that's the operative dynamic. It's not going to be the head one. Because have you ever thought something like, you know, my father used to say all the time, you can't intellectualize an emotion. What he meant to say was, sometimes you know something in your head, but you still feel lousy. Right? Why do you still feel lousy if you know something in your head? Because your story in your head and the story in your heart are two different stories. They haven't been fixed yet. They haven't been aligned yet. So, so that's job one. Step one is, we need to have our stories down. And I'm going to suggest to you what the essential elements of what the story of our heart has to be. Because if we put this in our hearts, and this is not a suggestion what I'm going to tell you, this is Judaism, this is reality what I'm going to tell you. If we put this in our heart over a period of time, this is what we're going to see. And our lives are going to change for the good. Number one, there is a God. There is a court. Of course there's a God. If there isn't a God, I'm not here. Because the only reason why I'm here is because there's a God. If God ceases to take part in this realm, everything goes away. Like a windowless room where the light gets switched off, gone. All of this realm of existence, gone, instantaneously, if God withdraws himself. If I'm here, that's the greatest proof in the world that God is here. Because I can't be here if God is not here. Because God is keeping me alive, and he's creating me, and he's creating the world every single moment. So for sure there's a God. Is God good? Absolutely, 1,000% good. And God himself tells you that this world is good. Look at the beginning of Rashi's, the beginning of the Torah, several different times he says, and I made this and it's good, and I made that and it's good, and I made this and it's good, and it's all good. And then he even says, it's very good. You know, sometimes you read a review, you go to a movie and you say, you know, that movie stank, why did I see it? Well, you know, the reviewer of the LA Times said it was good. So, you know, there's some reviewers, right? They say it's good, it's, maybe it's good. Or maybe it wasn't good. Or maybe they've got different tastes. Guess what? God has your taste. <laughs> God is that reviewer. He's that reviewer who's 100% right and reliable. And if he says it's good, it's absolutely good. You can completely trust in its goodness. Completely. It's authoritative. It's definitive. The world is good. Okay? God is one. That means that where everything is connected, every single thing is connected, God is absolutely one. And there's no other power other than Him. Remember, we always make a special point of saying this, that, um, that uh, when, when we talk about the oneness of God, we don't, we're not saying that Judaism believes that our God is stronger than your God. That's not what we're saying. We're saying 
There is only one God. There is, there is no other God. Okay? So, so, God is absolutely one. And, you know, there's a, there's a place that in the, um, in the morning prayers, when we take out the Torah, that always strikes me, is very significant on this point. It's uh, when we say, Baruch Shemei. It's a beautiful prayer. And we talk about how there's no other power. And there's a line here I want to read you from the art scroll. Uh, it's in page 141 here that I'm reading to you. It says, um, it says, uh, it is you who nourishes all and sustains all. You control everything. Okay, so that's a pretty definitive statement, wouldn't you say? Nothing more needs to be said about God's control. Just said, you nourish all, you sustain all, you control everything. Completely definitive. And yet, the prayer continues. It is you who controls kings, and kingship is yours. This, by the way, is from the Zohar. So, why does it need to say, it is you who controls kings, and kingship is yours? Didn't we just say God controls everything? What, what, what new thought is being added there? Because the way, this is my understanding, the way most people go through life is, okay, God, you control everything. Ah, but my boss, my boss is giving me a very hard time. Well, no, that's also God. That's also, he's also expressing the will of God. Or, you know, something my kids, or my girlfriend, or my boyfriend, or my wife, or my husband, right? They're somehow a separate power. No, they're not a separate power. Even the kings, quote-unquote, in your life. This is also the will of Hashem. doesn't mean that, that we have to, therefore, oh, you know, I have to submit to... My kid wants to go to Toys R Us right now. Ay, it's the will of Hashem. <laughs> I have to go to Toys R Us. No, that's not what I'm saying. You can participate in conversations. It doesn't mean that that's the final word, whatever anyone tells you about anything on any subject. But we have to understand in our minds that, that even the kings in our life, they're not a separate realm. They're not a separate realm. God controls absolutely everything. And God is intimately, intimately, intimately involved in every detail of our life. And I'll tell you my favorite story on this point is um, the Baal Shem Tov was walking with one of his students and the Baal Shem Tov was explaining how Hashem controls absolutely every detail of existence and even the leaves on the trees and they're in a forest, right? So you can picture this and you know they're looking up at all the leaves and the trees swaying in the wind and the student is trying to wrap his mind around like the... <laughs> how much Hashem is simultaneously conducting, you know, in this world, trillions and beyond trillions of things, simultaneously. And the student says, even that leaf, and the leaf blows off the tree, and the Baal Shem Tov says, even that leaf is being directed by Hashem. And the leaf, they follow it, it blows this way and it blows that way, and it lands on a patch of ground in a in a sunny spot on the ground. And they walk over to the leaf and, and they pick it up and they see that sort of like baking in the sun, in the hot sun, was a worm. And Hashem sent this leaf to give coverage and shade to this worm on this patch of forest ground. Right? So, 
You know, if a worm gets that level of treatment, <laughs> Hashem who puts his own, our own neshamas, which are a piece of him, into us, how much more infinitely so are we being watched over? Um, so, so, again, to review these very, very important points. These are the essential points that are our story. And we need to have this story not just in our head, but in our heart. Because if we have these essential points, and I'm going to repeat them in a moment, in our hearts, how we experience life is going to be different. Because all of the events that we see around us are now going to come and reinforce these principles. Okay? Number one, there's a God. God exists. Number two, God is good. Number three, God is one. Number four, God is involved with every aspect of our lives and that everything is for the good. Everything is for the good. Now, let me give you one point to illustrate that. Again, back to the spies. Um, you know, the, the question is asked, how could it be that if they were going to this very fierce, you know, place seemingly with giants and all sorts of things, how come they weren't spotted? They went up and down the land. Forty days they were traveling. No one caught them, these spies. And the, um, the rabbis teach that Hashem was making funerals the entire time, so the people in the land were busy with funerals. Now that's an amazing detail, because what God was doing was a tremendous chesed to the spies and the Jewish people by keeping the people busy that they shouldn't see, that they shouldn't be caught. And yet, the spies said, this is a land that's having constant funerals. What kind of place is this? And yet, you see, and yet you see that that was for the good. So, everything is for the good. So, when we look around and we experience things, we have to understand, this is also for the good. We can't make the mistake of seeing the funeral that the spies saw and say, this is terrible. Okay? Now, this doesn't mean, obviously, oh, I just got a chunk of glass in my vein and it's spurting blood. This is for the good. No. Go to a doctor. <laughs> yes. Eventually, there's a reason why that happened and why that was a fixing or whatever it is. But in the moment, you have to be responsible, you know? So, so we just have to stay grounded as we learn these ideas simultaneously, okay? Um, okay, now, I want to mention some other important things, how we can maintain this level. Um, so, so, you see something very, very interesting. It says when Moshe Rabbeinu was praying to get into the land of Israel, that he didn't pray based on his merits. In other words, who in the history of the world has more merits than Moshe? Most likely nobody. You know, maybe you want to say Abraham, I don't know. But it's hard to say anyone even probably even comes close to the number of merits that Moshe Rabbeinu has. Okay? So Moshe Rabbeinu, is told he can't go into the land of Israel. You can imagine, he can, he can be really saying, Hashem, wait a second, that was me up on Mount Sinai 40 days, two times, without bread or water, 40 days! You know, I completely left all bounds of physicality. 
I understand you helped me out, but, you know, how many other people did you do that with? You know, obviously, I, was, I had some level of merit in terms of that, that process, right? He didn't say any of these things. He didn't say any of these things. In fact, the opposite. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed that he should be given this opportunity as a free gift. And it says that Sadiqim, when they pray to Hashem, they ask for it as a gift. Now, it's very important for me to mention, we do have a very strong concept in Torah that schusim, merits, mitzvahs that we do, can very much be the basis in order to bring down blessings and in order to, you know, get prayers answered. A hundred percent. But I'm talking about a deeper level right now. I'm talking really about an attitude right now. So we have to always try to accumulate as many merits as possible. One hundred percent. But again, I'm talking about a way of approaching life in order to foster happiness. Okay? Moshe Rabbeinu, the most worthy person in the world, asked for his prayer to be answered based on a free gift. Now let me tell you why that's so applicable to our own lives. It's because... So much of what goes wrong in terms of our relationship with Hashem is an anger that enters into our relationship with God because we say, Hashem, I believe in you and I know you can give me this thing and I want this thing and you're not giving me this thing and here's the real killer step and I deserve this thing. And, and so what are you doing? What are you doing? How do you expect for the two of us to be square and close when you're withholding? All right, so where does that whole thing go wrong? There are desires that we have and there are needs that we have, and that's not a joke. Those are very, very real. That's not a joke. But when it gets to that critical stage of, I earned it and I deserve it, then all of a sudden, the whole balance of the relationship changes. The whole dynamic changes. And by the way, you might deserve it. And by the way, Hashem might be ready to give it to you. And by the way, if you got it at that moment, it could kill you. Chaz v'shalom. Chaz v'shalom. Hashem can be doing us the biggest favor in the entire world by not giving us what we wanted to that moment when we're asking for it doesn't mean, you know, like I like to say, when you pray for something and you haven't received it yet, Hashem isn't necessarily saying no. He's saying not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So, so I want to go even deeper with this idea for a moment. I heard, I heard Rav Shlomo say that when the spies went to look at the land, Remember, they brought back a bad report. So everyone's trying to figure out how could it be they were so righteous. So, in fact, do you want to hear something so heavy? One of the heaviest things I ever heard in my life. I heard it from Reb Shlomo. He said it in the name of the Zohar. He said, you know what they saw when they looked into the land? They saw rivers of blood coming out of the land. They saw the destruction of the first base of Migdash and the second base of Migdash. They saw every terrible, horrible thing that was ever going to happen to the Jewish people. But the one thing that they didn't see was because it was going to be, because, be, be, but 
was was that it was going to be done because of them. Like, yeah, you know, that's like that doesn't send a chill up your spine. <laughs> you know. Anyway, that aside, where where did they go wrong? So. There are many answers, but this answer I don't hear too often, or I've only heard it once, really, and it was from Rip Shlomo himself. He said that, that they did a calculation, and the phrase that he used was, he said, they looked into the heavenly bank account of the Jewish people, and they saw how many merits that we had, and they saw how many merits it would take in order for us to be able to get into the land and conquer the land. And they saw that we didn't have enough merits in order to do it. Okay? But now listen to this part. And this is for us in our own lives every day. Listen to this part. He said that what they didn't understand was that this level of getting into this land, of the land, this level of Mashiach, if you will, that Hashem can... It's hard to earn this, ever, even under the best of circumstances but that Hashem can give it to you as a gift. Right? And that Hashem was going to give us the land as a gift. And that can be true in our own lives also. You see? So, once you have this idea, you can get away from the whole merit versus blessing dynamic. In other words, the balanced, focused servant of God will try to do as many, as many merits as they can. Period. Because they understand that that gives Hashem Nachas Ruach. That, that, that has a, a great beneficial effect to the entire universe. So a person who's committed is going to do as many mitzvahs as possible. However, in terms of the guidance of their relationship with, with Hashem, and their attitude in terms of relating to Hashem, they're just thinking about, please Hashem, just as a gift. Just as a gift. Please, God. Please, God. And that removes a lot of the anger from one's relationship with, with, with God. Because you're, you're, you're just not even thinking about it in, in, in any other way. Um, okay. Now, another point. Another Basham Tov story. And another point in terms of our practicality. How, how, how to live. So the Baal Shem Tov was walking with one of his students. And you know, back in the day, they didn't have indoor plumbing, everyone knows. And one of the jobs, one of the you know, ways of making a living is that people would be called water carriers, which means they would have buckets of water. And you know, a bucket of water is very, very heavy. And they would transport water from the well or from the river into town or to people's houses or whatever it was. A very hard job. A very, very hard job. And one of the things that they would do, because, you know, it was a long walk back and forth, they would have a pole, and they would carry the pole across behind their neck, you know, on their shoulders, and on each side they'd have a bucket of water, and it would balance out, and that's how they would make their living. And so the Baal Shem Tov sees an old man, let's say he was 70, okay? And he's got two heavy buckets of water on his back. And the Baal Shem is walking with a student, says, come. And they go to the old man, and they say to him, how are you doing? And the man says, like with an angry voice, listen to the words carefully, the man says with an angry voice, how am I doing? 
I'm 70 years old and I'm carrying two heavy buckets of water. How do you think I'm doing? Right? So, sometime later, days, weeks, months, whatever it is, they see the same man with the two heavy buckets of water and the Baal Shem is with the same student and they come up to this man and he says, Tim, how are you doing? And he says, this time with a happy voice. Listen to the words. He says, how am I doing? I'm 70 years old and I'm carrying two heavy buckets of water. How do you think I'm doing? Exact same words. Exact same situation. But the first time he's, oh, my life. And the second time, my life. This is us. This is us every single day. You know, the reason why it's hard to win the lottery is because most people don't. <laughs> Some do, and you never know who's, who it's going to be, right? And you've got to play to win. It's another principle, right? You've got to play to win. So, I'm certainly... But by the way, just as an aside, but I heard this from Rabbi Green. I think it's a wonderful point. I really embrace this. If you do play the lottery, just buy one ticket. Because if you believe in God, all He needs is for you to buy one ticket for you to win. <laughs> right? If you buy more than one ticket, on some level you're saying, well, in other words, you don't have to make it easier for God. <laughs> one, one set of winning numbers is enough. <laughs> so you, every time you buy a, a lottery ticket, you can have this like wonderful moment of amuna that it's really coming from Hashem. Um, I think buying lottery tickets breeds religiosity anyway. <laughs> but anyway, this is just a, a, a point to, to, to refine that. Uh, anyway, so, so for a lot of us, and I'm saying this in a, not a, uh, you know, any of us who have uh, difficult uh, uh, situations in our life, Hashem should bless us, they should change, and so they should become very positive. But the, the broad parameters of our life is more or less where we are, right? More or less. More or less where we are. More or less, you know? doesn't mean that key things can't change. They can. But it's more or less where we are. But how we feel about where we are, this is something that can change every single day. It can change every single day. We can absolutely celebrate the fact that we're here and we get to do this. Or we can just wallow, essentially. And that's a decision that we have to make. And so, the next point, again, laying out this very practical program for happiness, is that we have to actually make a conscious decision to be happy. Now, what does that mean? Now, I'm going to give you an example in my own life, in my own profession, because I can make it very, very detailed. So, but... The reality is, is that this applies to all of us and we can all provide our own details in this. But I want you to see how this process works. Okay? So think about your own lives and how you do this when you hear me step this out. But I'm going to make it about the television business with your permission. <laughs> so, so you say, okay, well, I've got an idea for a new series. Well, I hope it's a good idea. I hope I sell it. You know? Um, okay, so then you say, well, I've got to come up with a good pitch. I hope I pitch it well. So then you go and you, you pitch it and you go, well, I pitched it. I think it was a good pitch. So I feel good about that, but I don't know if they're going to buy it. All right, so 
I don't know. Then I find out, well, they want to buy it. It's like, oh, great, but I don't know what kind of deal I'm going to get. You know? Maybe they're going to try to give me a, a like, the lowball me, you know, give me a real low number, and that's, that won't be great. Uh, all right, well, okay, I got whatever I got, you know? It's like, okay, that's good. Ah, now i got to write it. Uh, okay, this is, okay, now I'm writing it. Hey, I wrote it, and I met the deadline. Uh, I hope they like it. I hope the notes aren't too big. All right, well, all right, here I got the notes. They, they said they liked it. Did they really like it? I mean, they said they liked it, but did they really like it? I don't know. But anyway, here's the rewrite. I hope that they're going to decide to make this into a pilot. Oh, they're making it into a pilot. It's great. But now i got to cast it. The actor that I want, who I always thought would be best for this, isn't available or doesn't want to do it. Uh, i got to cast it. I don't know if... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find someone who's going to be really good for this material. Maybe it's just going to come out looking bad, even though the script was great. Everyone agrees that the script was great, but the finished product, the actual, the actual visuals of it, might not look good at all. All right, now I got whoever I got. I, I got the pilot right now. Well, I hope they approve, I hope that they pick it so that it gets ordered to series, because because you know they've only got two slots. Right? And there are 20 pilots. I really hope mine is one of the ones they're going to pick. They picked my, they picked my thing. Wow. I really hope they give me a good time slot because there are a lot of time slots that are just, no one watches them. It's going to be, it's, it's like, it's like what they call DOA, dead on arrival, you know? All right. So it made it all the way to the air. But, you know, if they don't put it in a good time slot, how's that going to help me? Well, it got some good reviews. But I wonder. But they don't seem to be promoting it. They're not. They're not promoting it. Is anyone going to watch? Okay. Well, it got good numbers. Got good numbers. The opening thing. That's great. But you know what? That means a lot of people just sampled it. Are they going to come back and watch the second episode? I don't know if they are because the network really decides several viewings in what the ratings are, not just what the opening numbers are. Oh, I'm sweating it out if they're going to watch it a second time or a third time. Hey, you know what? They like it, and I got a first season. Is it going to get picked up for a second season? <laughs> Boy, that, if you think there was an iota of exaggeration in anything I just told you, you're mistaken. And if you think I left anything out, I left a lot of things out. <laughs> That's life. Every single thing that happens. Oh, I heard so-and-so got engaged. Oh, it's wonderful. Is he a nice guy? Is she a nice girl? (laughs) You can focus on the good or you can focus on the bad and both opportunities will be before you constantly. No matter how good things are going. There's a billionaire who committed suicide a short while ago, a few months ago. He was, okay, I, I, I don't know anything about him. I'm not pretending to judge him in any, in any way, shape, or form. But he only had a few hundred million dollars left. Okay, so obviously it's a very complicated story. We don't even begin to know what was going on. But if you think in your mind... 
You've got some outrageous goal, let's say in the back of your mind, you're even afraid to think about it because you think, well, you know, that would just be too wild if that ever happened. You know what? Let's say it happened. Let's say you got it. Let's say you actually got that thing. Guess what? You're still going to be able to choose. You know, now I've got 20 million in the bank. My business manager, is he honest or is he stealing from me? (laughs) Right? This huge house that I have in the hills. It's raining really hard. There are mudslides around here. Right? That insurance policy that I just took out, it's got this weird little bit of language in there. Am I protected against that? It never stops. It never stops. Therefore, what? Therefore, we must constantly choose to focus on the positive. Now, I'm saying a lot of things here, and I really, I haven't communicated yet. I really want to make sure that you're understanding what I'm saying. The first thing that I'm saying is that the opportunity to think a negative thought, no matter how outrageously good our circumstances are, will always present itself. Remember, this is a spiritual rule of the universe. Who could... Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest. Bilam, it says, was like Moshe Rabbeinu. That means even at the level of spirituality of a Moshe Rabbeinu, who is more angel than man, you had this parallel entity called Bilam. So even at that level of Moshe, you have the choice between good and evil. So certainly in our own lives, in our daily lives, that that back and forth is always going to present itself. Now here's the second point I'm making. And this is very, very important that you understand this. The fact that that choice exists, you go, well, yeah, now I have this, but there's also that. The fact that that, well, there's also that. The fact that that exists doesn't undermine or negate the good that's there. You see, most of us just go with the flow. We go, okay, well now I'm just swimming in my stream of thoughts. And so now I have this good thing happen, but now there's this negative thing that could happen, possibly, and you just kind of swim from the good right into the, into the cautious or worried or bad, right? But what I'm trying to say is don't do that. Don't let the momentum of your thoughts, of the normal process, there's nothing, there's nothing abnormal about desiring to think this way. This is the normal part of being a human being. You will have that negative thought that will come. It's part of existence. But just because that comes, it doesn't mean that you have to go in that direction. And just because that negative possibility exists, means that it cancels out the good thing that exists. It doesn't cancel it out. So, imagine, again, let's say you're swimming in this stream and there's a a current and it's taking you downstream. You have to hold on. There will be a rock there. That's the good thing. You have to hold on to that rock, and as the stream sort of tries to pull your body to the negative place, you hold on to the rock. And of course, Hashem is compared to the rock, right? Right? Suri Israel, the rock of Israel. You hold on to the rock. Give you another version of that. The Rebbe's talk about it all the time the horse and the rider. Right? The horse, you're the rider. The horse is your thoughts. The horse wants to go in that negative direction. You just, you just pull the reins. 
You go, no, no. And just because he wants to go in that direction, doesn't mean God wants you to go in that direction. That doesn't mean you want to go in that direction. That, that doesn't mean that that direction is going to be the next thing that happens in your life. None of those things. Just pull the reins back. Okay? Okay. So, so, I just want to wrap it up right now, but I just want to review, because it's very, very important. We're all spies, so to speak. Rashi makes that comparison. Our eyes and our hearts are spying things out. The way, Rashi says, the way the spies came back is the way they went initially. They had the story that they were going to tell before they left. That's all of us. All of us have our story about what life is and about what this world is from the outset. But the key thing, the new thought here, is that really, you know, like um, they're crooked businessmen. And it's a known thing among crooked businessmen that there are what they call two sets of books. Okay? What does that mean? There's the kosher, quote-unquote, accounting that they show the IRS. And then there's the books in the back room where they keep the, the real records, where the money is really going. Okay? All of us have two sets of books. Okay? We have the book in our mind, what will tell you that we believe and what we may even think we believe. And then there's the book that's in our heart. And the book that's in our heart is the real book. Because that's the one, that's the script that's going to be determining how we process the events of our lives. And so that's the book that you have to make sure is really in keeping with the truth. And you know what the good news is? The truth is a happy story. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine that you've got, like, Cinderella, and you keep on wanting to write in, like, gangsters with machine guns, and, you know what? It's like, no! The story itself is a good story. Just stay with the story. So what is the story of this world? Again, there is a God. God is good. God is one. God is intimately involved in our lives. And that everything that happens is for the best. Write these things down or remember them or whatever it is. And work on making that the story in your heart. Because if you do that, and we all have to do that, we'll see and we'll be able to participate in the goodness of God. Okay, have a great day.